0: as we stand, let's uh, pray, shall we? Uh, Lord Jesus, we've just been singing of you as our shepherd and we know that your word tells us that your sheep hear your voice. So we pray that would be our experience in these next few minutes. We pray that we would hear your voice, that we may see you more clearly, love you more dearly and follow you more nearly, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Am I on? doesn't sound very good, does it? It is on. Great. There we go. Brilliant. Uh, Well, uh, may I am my in welcome to that of Rob's earlier. Uh, I'm not a student. Uh, My name is Will. I'm the minister here. (laughs) Just in case you were going to flatter me and uh, say that I look like a student. Um, I'm not. Uh, I'm the minister here, and it's a great privilege to be so. Uh, Gather a group of Christians in a room, and almost certainly, uh, you won't have to wait very long before you realise they start to fall out. Uh, we've seen that this week, haven't we, in the media? The uh, Church of England have let me well, let me readjust this. That's better, isn't it? Uh, the Church of England has been uh, debating what to do about uh, sexuality and human relationships in General Synod this week, and there has been uh, much disagreements and falling out among the delegates. And we shouldn't be surprised at that, should we? Of course, uh, it's often said, isn't it, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Um, and we know that to be true. Uh, We live in a fallen world, and our relationships are broken. Uh, It's inevitable that Christians will have disagreements. Uh, And this this evening, I feel that I'm um, treading with fear and trembling, because the events at the heart of our reading uh, this evening that we had uh, just read for us earlier... Uh, is one that has been the subject of uh, great disagreements among Christians, or at least historically it has. It still does continue even to this day. Uh, We can't uh, agree even what to call it, let alone what it means. Uh, So so here we go. But anyway, let's uh, have a look and see what we have to say about it. Uh, what is uh, going on here? Well, the Lord's Supper, or uh, communion if you like to, to call it, uh, that we have in this uh, passage, is one of two gospel sacraments given us by, to us by the Lord Jesus. Uh, as his followers, he gives it to us as, uh, for our benefit. Uh, the other one, of course, is baptism. Uh, the Lord's Supper and baptism the two great gospel sacraments of uh, the Christian Church. Uh, What is a sacrament? Well, this is uh, words taken directly from the Church of England's Catechism that I'm sure all of you have read, so you can find it in the uh, prayer book. Go away and read it. This is what it says. This is good for you to know this. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. An outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Let me try and translate that for you. Uh, In other words, baptism and the Lord's Supper are physical reminders for us of all the blessings that the Lord Jesus gives us when we trust in him, essentially. They're they're physical reminders for us of the the grace and the blessings that flow through the Lord Jesus and through his work uh, on our behalf. Most of us, I guess, have a tendency to forget things. I'm a very forgetful person. I need uh, lots of uh, to-do lists and things like that to help me to remember things. And in a sense, that the Lord's Supper and baptism are a little bit like that. They're given to us by the Lord Jesus to help us remember uh, what he's done for us and uh, what we uh, receive uh, through him. And I think, as I've been reading through uh, this uh, passage and preparing it this week, I think the Lord Jesus uh, gives us three truths about what his death achieved for us and what it means uh, in that uh, passage that we had read for us. So I'd be very grateful if you could have it uh, open in front of you. It's page uh, 996, if you've closed the few Bibles. Uh, Let's have a look at these three truths that the Lord Jesus teaches us. And the uh, first one is this. He says that Jesus' death completes Israel's Passover. Completes Israel's Passover. Have I got the clicker right, and It's not be um, it working for some reason. There we go, brilliant. Thank you very much. Jesus' death completes Israel's Passover. Uh, it's impossible to ignore the context of uh, the, uh, the events in this passage, isn't it? Uh, so Matthew records for us from the start. It was the first day of the, the feast, or the festival, of unleavened bread, verse uh, 17. And the disciples come to Jesus to find out what preparations he uh, wants them to make for him to eat the Passover meal. Now, the Passover was the great kind of festival or feast that the Jews celebrated in their their calendar. Uh, It was because of Passover that Jesus was there in Jerusalem in the first place, because the Jewish law said that as far as possible, you should go up to eat Passover and celebrate it within the boundaries of Jerusalem. And Jesus, uh, of course, uh, was doing that. Uh, it's a reminder for us that actually even in the very smallest of details, the Lord Jesus sought to obey the law and fulfill it. Well, there we go. Well, the story of Passover is found in Exodus chapter 12. Don't turn to it now, but go and look it up a little bit later. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 tells us about uh, the events that the Passover commemorated. So historically, the Passover meal remembered the great time in, in, the, in the people of God's history uh, when God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. You might uh, be familiar with the story. uh, God's people were in Egypt. They were uh, being oppressed uh, by the Egyptians. Uh, And again and again, God promised that he was going to to, to release them. Uh, you You might remember Moses and the plagues. Moses going to Pharaoh, let my people go. No, no, and the plagues. And it all culminated in God's promise that he would come in judgment upon the Egyptians. Uh, he said that he would sweep through uh, the nation of, uh, I- of uh, Egypt and he would kill every firstborn son and every firstborn animal uh, as a-, a sign of his judgments upon that nation for disobeying him and for mistreating uh, his people. But there was an exception. He said to his people, to the Israelites, to those who called on his name, if they were to kill a pure lamb and they would sprinkle it on the doorpost and spread it, just as you can see in that slide there, then he would pass over their houses. When he saw the blood, he would pass over their houses and spare them. And it was this great act of rescue that God's people were remembering here in the Passover meal that Jesus was preparing to celebrate. Now, of course, in a sense, Passover looked back It was one of those events, perhaps like we have, you know, like bonfire night or something like that, where you look back to an event in our kind of collective history. But actually, as Jesus says here, and as the rest of the New Testament confirms for us, Passover actually was looking forward as well. It was looking forward in anticipation of a mighty work that God was going to do yet again. And Jesus says here that in his death, it has found its completion. What does he say? Well, yet again, God will move in power to deliver his people from slavery. It's not from Egypt this time, though, but it's from greater slavery, the slavery of our own hearts. Uh, Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin, and we know that in our own experience, don't we? Uh, All of us have things that seem to enslave us, that seem to constantly trip us up, things that we wish that we didn't do, but we know that time and time again that we do. And Jesus explained that's the case. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We know that no matter how hard we try, we can't seem to break those chains. But the good news at the heart of Passover is that in the Lord Jesus and in his death, God has broken those chains. Jesus once explained his death as a ransom. Ransom. Famously. Uh, a ransom we're probably familiar with. You see it often on the news, don't you, when there's a kind of kidnapping or you see terrorists. So we, we saw some years ago, didn't we, there was sort of seemed to be a spate of Mediterranean pirates who were kidnapping people and demanding ransoms off governments. Uh, when a ransom is paid, it frees somebody. And Jesus' death was a ransom. Not to free us from slavery in Egypt, but to free us from the slavery of sin. The first Passover recalled the judgment of God falling on sin. Uh, God is a, uh, is a God who, who must judge sin. Uh, his uh, his uh, law says that he must punish sin, and so is the case. Uh, in Egypt, it was the fact that uh, lamb's blood was spilt, uh, and, uh, which provided refuge for the people of God. When they put it on their doorposts, they could shelter under that blood. But now it is uh, the Lord Jesus' blood that is the refuge for his people. You might remember the cry of John the Baptist when he saw Jesus first of all. Behold the Lamb of God. And Jesus here fulfills the Passover or completes it. Just as his blood was spilt at the cross, just as the uh, Lamb's blood back in, the, in Egypt was spilt and uh, shed over the, uh, the doorposts. Uh, so the Lord Jesus is a refuge from judgment for all those uh, who trust in him? This is how the Apostle Paul uh, sums it up wonderfully in the letter to the Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians. He says, "Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth." He's reminding us that the death of the Lord Jesus has delivered us from the slavery of sin in order that we might walk in sincerity and truth. That's the first uh, truth for us, that the, uh, the death of the Lord Jesus completed Israel's Passover. Let's uh, move on. What's the second truth? The second truth is this. Jesus' death conforms to God's plan. Jesus' death conforms to God's plan. Uh, lots of people uh, in their review of 2016 made the point that it seemed to be a year of notable deaths, didn't it? There seemed to be a lot of deaths in 2016 of, of notable people. Uh, I don't know about you, but I, I thought that probably the most tragic of all those deaths was the death of the Labour MP, Joe Cox. You might remember during the uh, referendum uh, uh, campaign. Uh, a seemingly meaningless tragedy. Uh, okay, bound up amid political tensions. Perhaps there some mental health issues. Who knows? But it seemed to be a completely meaningless tragedy. Uh, you've got a young woman. Yes, a, a woman of conviction. Uh, who seemingly paid for those convictions with her life. It struck me as I was preparing this that there's a temptation, I think, to view the death of the Lord Jesus in the same light that we might view the death of Joe Cox. Uh, When we look at the death of uh, Jesus and the death of Joe Cox, I guess there's there's a a question that we have to face up to, don't we? Among many questions. Why? Why did it happen? Uh, Why did it happen? Why did they have to die? Why, in the case of Jesus, do we find this this selfless, attractive, charismatic personality, this attractive young man, find himself? What what led him to find himself nailed to a Roman cross as a criminal? Well, there have been many attempts to answer that question. Uh, There are some people who've simply seen in Jesus, as in Joe Cox, I guess somebody who was a tragic victim of circumstances. You know, wrong place, wrong person, wrong time. Some people have implied that somehow his death was was some kind of martyrdom uh, or some kind of uh, example to inspire his followers uh, to to travel on uh, in his wake. The answer that the Bible gives to the question is uh, a multifaceted one. But one thing is clear above all. The death of the Lord Jesus was not a tragic accident. It was not a tragic accident. Rather, it was in conformity with the plan that God had set in motion all along. And more than that, the Lord Jesus was a free and willing participant in that plan. Sometimes people have tried to uh, imply that uh, uh, Jesus' death was some kind of child abuse on a kind of cosmic scale. This kind of idea that, that, that a horrible father kind of compelled his son to go along this hideous plan. It's not like that at all. Jesus uh, willingly laid down his life for us. And he makes that very clear uh, in this passage. So we can see that, can't we? And he answers the, uh, the question that the, uh, the, d- the disciples put to him about the preparation for the Passover. Look at verse 18. Uh, he says, uh, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says, my appointed time uh, is near. In Jesus' mind, at least, there's little doubt that the events that are about to unfold are events as they should be. Uh, They they are in accordance with a greater plan. It is his appointed time. It's quite clear in the English. It's even clearer if you read it in the Greek, in which the New Testament was originally uh, written. Uh, the uh, New Testament has, has two words that tend to be used for time. Uh, one is uh, chronos, which is kind of where we get the word chronological from. And that's just used generally, as if you were sort of talking about, well, it's, you know, ten past seven. That's the time. But there's another word that it uses, which is kairos. And kairos is usually used as a sign that so, it's, it's special time, God's time. There's something about it uh, which is an appointed time uh, that God has set for it. And that's the, uh, the word that Jesus uses here. It is kairos, it is God's time. There's a sense of fulfillment here. It's even clearer if you read through John's Gospel, because John's Gospel frequently refers to Jesus talking about his hour. And there's a sense in which Jesus is working to a timetable. It's the same kind of idea here. Jesus is, uh, is, is working to a plan. It gets even clearer, doesn't it, as we look at uh, the words that Jesus uh, said to his disciples as he talks with them over supper in the upper room. He makes this astounding revelation, doesn't he? Uh, Verse uh, uh, 21, he says, Whilst they were eating, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. can't even begin to to imagine just how shocking that must have been for the disciples. I mean, they'd walked with Jesus for for three years. They'd shared life with him. And yet here he is saying that one of them is about to betray him. One of them is about to uh, sell him out. Well, that's what he says. He knows that one of them is about to betray him. In fact, he repeats his claim, doesn't he? In fact, he actually he strengthens it in verse 24. He says, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. Jesus knows that what is about to happen is not happening because it's a tragic accident. Actually, it's happening because the Scriptures promised that it always would happen. In uh, Psalm 41, uh, centuries and centuries before the events that we're reading about here, uh, King David the psalmist spoke of someone, a a close friend, somebody who trusted, one who shared in his bread, who turned against him. Uh, What was true for King David as his enemies conspired against him was, uh, was supremely true for the greater David, his descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he Uh, was there in the upper room as he went to his cross. It was all as the Bible promised, as God had planned. God's king would be betrayed, sold out by one of his closest friends. He would go to his death on the cross. Jesus' death conforms to the Father's plan. Some, uh, someone who probably has a lot of time on their hands has worked out that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament in his lifetime. 29 of those, over 29 of those, were fulfilled alone at his death. That's amazing, isn't it? The overwhelming testimony of Scripture is that Jesus' death was not a tragic accident, but it was just as God had always planned it to be. Uh, he was a voluntary participant in the Father's rescue plan. He came to rescue the people who had rejected him. He was God's God's rescue plan from long ago. Uh, The Apostle John uh, writes this, describing the death of Jesus as he meditates on it. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. In selfless love for a world that had rejected him, for you and, and for me, in obedience to the plan of his heavenly father, the Lord Jesus gave his life freely on the cross for us. We sometimes think, don't we, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus' death completes the Passover, Jesus' death conforms to a plan, what do we see thirdly? Jesus' death confirms Scripture's promises. Jesus' death confirms Scripture's promises. Well, we've seen, haven't we, that at the Passover meal and the Last Supper both look forwards and backwards in completion of the Passover deliverance. Well, Jesus' words, as he breaks the bread and uh, takes the cup, show us that actually, again, his death is looking backwards and forwards. But this time, it is in confirmation of the eternal promises of God. Uh, After the Passover, when uh, God's people had uh, come out of Egypt, uh, the book of Exodus records for us how at the foot of Mount Sinai, God made a covenant or a promise uh, with his people. It's in chapter 24 of the book of Exodus. Uh, It was a promise that they would be his people and he would be their God. Uh, To seal it, he uh, commanded Moses to make a sacrifice. and, And yet again, yes, to sprinkle blood on the altar, and to sprinkle it on the people as well. And Moses describes it as the blood of the covenant. It was a seal or a sign that what God had said would come true. Well, as you read through the Old Testament, it sadly becomes abundantly clear that God's people can't keep their side of the bargain, as it were. Uh, They wandered away from God. Sometimes they seemed to come back to him, but then again, they wandered away from him. And eventually, God makes another promise to them. It's amazing, because they really don't deserve it. Again and again, in the midst of their rebellion, and in their love, God still makes a promise to them. And you can read about it in Jeremiah chapter 31. It's an amazing promise, one of the most amazing passages in the Old Testament. This is what he says. This is God speaking to his people. He says, This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness. I will remember their sins no more. And the amazing truth as we see the Lord Jesus breaking bread and wine in that upper room with his disciples is that those words are being fulfilled. God keeps his promises. He has confirmed the promise that he made to his people all those years ago. Because in the death of the Lord Jesus, he is bringing his people into a new covenant relationship sealed in blood. Jesus' death was confirmation of God's great ancient promise. But it's much, much better than the promise. Uh, that was made to the Israelites. Just look at what Jesus says. It's worth just uh, just uh, dwelling on these things. Uh, verse twenty-eight. Jesus uh, tells us, He says, uh, "Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, not for the few." In the past, God had made a promise with uh, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel were tiny people. Hardly any of them compared to all the nations of the world. But here Jesus is saying that the boundaries of the covenant are going to be completely redrawn. They're being thrown wide open. This isn't just a promise for for, for Israelites for some tiny nation in the middle of nowhere. This is a promise for many people. Uh, No longer will relationship with God be restricted to just a handful of people. But it will be thrown open so that Gentiles, so the non-Jews, so people like you and me can enjoy God as well. Anyone who will turn to him in faith. His blood is poured out for the many. He goes on, doesn't he? He says, this is my blood of the covenants poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It is his blood which secures atonement. Uh, You might remember, if you know anything about your Bible, that under the old covenant promise, uh, the the, the, uh, priests of the nation of Israel would daily uh, sacrifice on behalf of the people. If you did something wrong, you'd go to the priests and they would sacrifice a bull uh, or a goat uh, on your behalf, on the altar. And they'd sprinkle uh, the blood and uh, and you would be treated as somebody uh, who hadn't sinned. The thing is that no matter how many times they made those sacrifices... Actually, they never actually dealt with the problem. We know that because the book of Hebrews tells us that. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. What was going on? Well, those sacrifices that the priests were making were pointing ahead to a greater sacrifice. And Jesus says, this is it. In my death, uh, what bulls and goats could never do, I can. Through my death on the cross. Jesus' death really did deal once and for all with the problem of human sin. It dealt with all the sin that had been committed in the centuries leading up to it. It has dealt with all the sin that's been committed since. The Old Testament believers could say that they knew about God. But actually the truth is that they, whenever they came to approach him, they had to approach him through a system of priests. They could never approach him without a sense of fear. But because of the Lord Jesus, because of his death on the cross, because his blood has dealt with sin, because his blood has been shed and we have been forgiven, we really can know God in a new way, just as Jeremiah promised. Uh, We can be his people and he can be our God. We can draw near with faith. Actually, anticipating the day when the Lord Jesus will return. Jesus himself does that, doesn't he, in verse 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine until now. From now until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom, uh, we can look forward in confident expectation that the Lord Jesus will return and we will be with him and uh, we will celebrate with him, we will know him. Jesus' death confirms the promises that the Bible always made. Uh, some months ago, I uh, had the great fortune to receive a cheque from the Inland Revenue. I had overpaid my tax, uh, they'd miscalculated it, I think, and uh, I got uh, some money back. It wasn't a great deal, but it's always nice to, to get some money back, isn't it? Uh, it's lovely to receive a cheque, but as I'm sure you'll be aware, it's only when you cash it that your bank account sees the difference. And in a sense, it's a bit like that with the death of the Lord Jesus as well. And I think it's very easy to look at this in a slightly detached perspective. It's very easy to read these words and think, wow, that's great. But if I can push the illustration, I want to ask you, have you cashed the check? Maybe we can look at it from a slightly different way. Jesus says here, doesn't he, to his disciples, take and eat. This is my body. It's only when we take and eat... That is, we receive him by faith. We receive, we trust, say, Jesus, we trust that uh, you have done what we could never do, that your death on the cross really has dealt with our sin. It's only then that we can know the full blessings that his death uh, achieved on our behalf. And I want to encourage you this evening as we close, uh, have you done that? uh, Do you know this to be true, uh, for yourself. It is one thing to, to listen about this and, and to read it and to be amazed. But it's another thing to know it and to be able to say in your heart that you know God. That he is your God. You are, are his. I want to encourage you. Will you take and eat? Will you say to the Lord Jesus this evening that uh, Lord Jesus I've been walking away from you I know that uh, I've messed things up. I know that I'm in need of your grace and your forgiveness. And I believe that it's only through your death on my behalf that I can receive it. Will you do that? It might be that you've been a Christian for for, for a long time. Are you continuing to take and eat, as it were? Are you day by day trusting in the promises of the Lord Jesus? It's so easy, isn't it, to, to trust in ourselves or trust in other things, But actually, daily, we need to come before uh, our God and claim these promises for ourselves. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Friends, it's, it's not your plea. It's the plea of the Lord Jesus Christ on your behalf. Daily, we need to trust in his grace and in his blood shed on that cross on our behalf. Would you daily look to him? Jesus said elsewhere, didn't he, that he was the bread of life. He said whoever uh, came to him would be satisfied. Whoever was thirsty would know the satisfaction of drinking from, from, from him and being, uh, having their thirst quenched. Well, we day by day look to him, trust in him, know uh, the nourishment that comes from feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Uh, John Stott, a great Christian writer of the last century, said that the joy of the Lord's Supper is that the Lord's atonement is complete, or the Lord's work is complete. And isn't that true? That's exactly what we see in this uh, passage. It is the sign that we're rescued and we're restored to our Heavenly Father, just as he'd always planned, just as he'd always promised, in the riches of his grace. I pray that we know that for ourselves this evening. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for the great gospel gift that is the Lord's Supper. Thank you that it reminds us of your work on our behalf. And Lord Jesus, we don't just thank you for the supper, but we thank you above all for the work to which it points. We thank you that you came. You did indeed fulfill the promises of the Passover. When we shelter under your blood, we know that we need never fear the judgment of God. Thank you that you came willingly in accordance with the plan of the Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your obedience. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is through you that we have a new covenant relationship with our God. Thank you that it is your blood shed on the cross that brings forgiveness of sins, that seals that promise once and for all. And we pray for ourselves this evening, Lord Jesus, that we would know that to be true in our own hearts. Apply it to our hearts, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. Uh, May we walk in those truths, may we know those truths, uh, day by day, week by week, uh, hour by hour, for your name's sake. Amen.